From Foreign Policy, I'm Sarah Wildman, and this is The ER. The, the email that my wife got was from uh, a persona, uh, this, you know, described as a woman, Adriana uh, Gavrillo, I, th- I think was the last name, claiming to be from a firm called Rubin Capital Partners out of London. That's Colin Call. He's a Stanford professor in political science and one of those wonky but super hip guys who worked for the Obama administration. He's got bright red square glasses. He's super committed. Anyway, Call worked under Vice President Biden on the Iran deal that President Trump blew up in mid-May. But this story is only partly about the Iran deal. It's also about the ways people sought to undermine it. A few weeks ago, The Guardian and The New Yorker broke a crazy story. Black Cube, the Israeli intelligence company filled with former Mossad agents, had been hired to dig up dirt on Call and this guy Ben Rhodes, who was also a former Obama administration official. Black Cube, you might remember, it was the same company Harvey Weinstein hired to discredit the women who were accusing him of sexual misconduct. Anyway, Colin and his wife, Rebecca, they didn't know any of that at the time. It all started with an email. The the email pitch that my wife got, um, and the email came to her on May 26, 20, 2017, said that they had this social responsibility fund, that they had been making some investments in women's projects, and now they were shifting to education, that they had heard about my daughter's school, uh, which is random, yeah. uh, and that they knew that my wife was involved in the in the fundraising for the school, also random, this is not like public uh, information, and that they would like to meet to discuss whether like the school might, it might make sense to make some investments. So my wife kind of forwarded that email to some people that we know who are education consultants and also some family members who work in the finance world, and everybody thought that something about this was weird. But so we, okay, we all get weird, scammy emails. Yeah. Nigerian princes, yeah, 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 things totally. like this, or you know, I've I've gotten emails from from friends and acquaintances saying yeah. that they're stuck in a country, totally that kind of thing, and and you write them separately and say, has your email been hacked? Yeah, it didn't look like that. No, it didn't, and well, partly because those scams, those kind of Nigerian prince scams, are generic, right? Mm-hmm. They're part of these. That's why they tend to go in your junk folder or mm-hmm, your spam mm-hmm. folder, right? Is that they they get blasted out a lot. This was very specific, right? This was tailored. You know, my wife's name is Rebecca. Dear Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And, you know, da 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 And there we, weren't the typos. And no like, typos. Uh, it had, you know, the name of my daughter's school. It had information that my wife was on the fundraising committee. It had um, the Which is a volunteer role. Correct. Okay. A volunteer. No, your listeners need to get a volunteer role at an obscure public charter school in uh, in, you know, in the corner of D.C. Like, there's no, I mean, it's a great school, but nobody would know about it in the U.K. It's just right. inconceivable. And it also had kind of like official letterhead. There there was a little website uh, for the for the entity. It wasn't particularly deep, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my wife forwarded this around. The folks we knew in the education and finance world thought this sounded fishy. So to test whether it was fishy or not, uh, my wife sent back and said, look, I, I'm not really the person you should talk to. You should talk to the leadership of the school. Here are their names and emails like you should. And the person said, no, no, no. We really want to talk to uh, you as a parent. Uh, we really want to make sure that we can talk to you. And she said, OK, well, I can't really meet with you. But here's the other parent who's on the committee with me. And actually, she has this other parent has three kids at the school. She knows the school way better. You should really talk to this other parent. And they're like, no, we really want to talk to you. 
At which point we're like, this is a scam. This is, you know, one of the one of the people we'd reached out to in the finance world said this sounds like something actually that a foreign intelligence entity might do. Like, so someone introduced the idea. It was foreign yeah, intel. and which is conceivable because I was a national security official in the Obama mm-hmm. administration. Maybe they were, you know, but so we kind of just that just kind of. And your wife does not work in national security. No, my wife. Many years ago, my wife worked for the National Democratic Institute, which mm-hmm. is an NGO that does political development work all over the world. Um, but about eight years ago, she quit uh, and got certified as a life coach. Uh, and then our daughter was born, and uh, she essentially, over over time, especially as I reentered government, um, you know, working sixteen hours a day, six and a half days a week, um, she kind of dialed all the way back to being a stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. So at this time, you know, she was a, a full time mom, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the stuff she was doing for the school as volunteer. So we thought it was weird at the time, but what was interesting was when this Guardian Observer story came out. And it said, okay, well, there, there was somebody fishing around in my life in this moment. She said, you remember that weird set so of emails So it got? clicked for her. It clicked for her. Uh-huh. And I wrote a thread on Twitter that basically told the story, but without any names. Like I didn't mm-hmm. use the term Ruben Capital Partners or anything else, but just kind of told the story. And a number of people said, you know, this really sounds like the, the, method, the methodology of this firm, Black Cube. Um, this Israeli uh, private intel firm. And then uh, uh, Laura Rosen, who's a, a reporter for Al Monitor, a really good investigative reporter, reached out to me. We know each other uh, pretty well. And she said, can you tell me any more? And I, I actually gave her a screenshot of the original. And she said, well, you know, the, the Rubin Capital Partners is the exact same fake firm that Harvey Weinstein had hired to discredit Rose McGowan and, and these accusers in the, in the, you know, who had accused him of sexual assault and harassment and everything else. And then Ronan Farrow, she, she writes about this, and simultaneously Ronan Farrow uh, from The New Yorker reached out to me, and I told him about the Rubin Capital Partners thing, and he said, yeah, it's the same, that's Black, that's black Cube. Um, and then actually Ronan had a copy of the opposition file uh, that this that this group had done on me. Oh wow! Um, and he's not the only one. I've also heard from reporters from NBC and and the New York Times who have copies of these files. So we so are we, now. Have you seen it? I have. I have. It's not. I mean, did you it, discover something about yourself that you didn't? No. Know? I mean, fr- <laughs> frankly, I mean, who knows whether this is the sum total of what they dug up on mm-hmm. on me? But it 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 had a little bit of the feel of if you gave. A research assistant, six hours to scour the internet, uh, and you know, get maybe a little more access to Facebook than you're supposed to. Right. Um, what types of information? You know, it's like where do I live? What's my work history? Who mm-hmm. are my in-laws? Who are my relatives? What kind of car do I drive? Uh, you know, that that type of stuff. Um, creepy, but not spectacularly uh, 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 you know, insightful. Um, but the fact that these reporters had it, I, I think I, at this point, I, we are we are a hundred percent sure that it was this entity, Black Cube, that was hired. I think the sixty four thousand dollar question is who hired them. Mm-hmm. Um, the Observer and Guardian um, continue to assert that that they've either seen documents or they have credible allegations that it was Trump aides or Trump associates. Others have said maybe it's a corporate client mm-hmm. um, uh, in the Gulf or somewhere else. Uh, so I think that's the next shoe to drop is is to figure out who hired these guys because that's unclear. It is unclear. I mean, um, so I don't have any direct evidence other than what's been reported. Mm-hmm. And the two stories that have been reported, one is that, you know, it was Trump aides and the other is that it was a corporate client. Of course, these explanations aren't mutually exclusive. My, my guess is if there's any connection back to anybody in Trump world, there's no reason you shouldn't expect to see a contract with some Trump aide signature on it, right? It would be one or two hops removed, some wealthy donor or some corporate entity that they know or something else. Um, I do think, though— 
that to figure out who hired these folks, one has to answer two questions. One is, why did they target Ben Rhodes and I specifically Mm -hmm. as a pair? Mm -hmm. Because after all, like we were senior officials, but there were other more senior officials. Mm -hmm. We were involved in the Iran deal, but hardly an exhaustive list. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, John Kerry and Ernie Moniz and (sighs) Wendy Sherman and Susan Rice. And, you know, there's a lot of other people who could have been targeted. So why the two of us? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, why the timing? Why the spring of, Mm -hmm. of 2017? And those two things put together of Ben and I as a pair... And the timing is what makes, I think, at least the, the, the notion that it's tied back to Trump associates plausible because there was this obsession uh, that a number of Trump aides had with Ben and I specifically uh, in the spring of 2017. And so maybe it's just a coincidence that they had but an wait, obsession why with why in the spring of 2017? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. So um, I think, I think uh, a couple of reasons. One— um, ben and I were very active in both the media and on social media in criticizing uh, the Trump administration, probably to a degree that is abnormal of uh, former government officials. Usually there's a little bit of a cooling off period. I think it was different this time because uh, a lot of Obama administration officials, especially those who, of us who were there through the very end, mm-hmm. saw so many disturbing things about the incoming administration during the transition that – we, I think there was a sense of existential anxiety about mm-hmm. about the administration that's not typical. So I think people were more actively critical than than uh, is is typical. And Ben and I were pretty pretty uh, pretty far out there. I think that's the first thing. I think the second is that there was a set of aides close to Trump who were obsessed with the series of leaks, mm-hmm. right? Leaked transcripts to foreign leader calls, right? Leaks about the Russia stuff to the to the uh, to the the, uh, the the Washington Press or the New York Times and and, and others. Um, leaks about you know what Trump might have told uh, Lavrov in the Oval Office. Like they were just obsessed with trying to figure out who the leakers were. And for whatever reason, they zeroed in on Ben and I as the most likely puppet masters of the deep state. And this sounds crazy, by the way. This sounds absolutely freaking crazy. Um, except that apparently they believed it. At any point, did you worry about your family and things like that, though? I mean, when that email came in, did, did you make any connection at that point, A, to the Trump administration or to any other, you know, kind of trolley kind of things? And B, did you start worrying, oh, well, you know, at least my wife's not involved in this? So I think it was at the time I didn't draw any connection to the Trump administration. And once again, I still don't have any smoking gun evidence that they were involved now, uh, even uh, after all the reporting. So I think we found it was creepy. I think the fact that once my wife stopped engaging, this persona at least left us alone. There were probably maybe half a dozen emails back and forth between May 26th, and I think the last email was June 15th of 2017. Um they they didn't stalk us after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there was some separate outreach to me. Um, looking back at my at my Gmail, um, there appears to have been some outreach from what I think is a fake French think tank at the same time to try to set up an, a, a similar meeting with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but was it also so like strangely off subject or no? No, that the the French think tank one was a little bit more um, plausible mm-hmm. uh, because. They wanted to invite me to Paris to be on a panel to talk about the Obama administration's nonproliferation legacy, including the Iran deal and some other, which is not unusual because I, I'm an academic. I'm a think tanker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I write about this stuff. I do stuff like this all the time. Um, what was weird about it was that I could find no information that this think tank actually existed. Um, and it was another one of these things where I kept trying to push them off and they were very insistent on meeting with me. And um, 
So I, there were some creepy things that were happening, but I, I don't think we ever felt at personal risk. Because I don't think the goal was ever to do us physical harm. I think the goal was to try to dig up dirt um, on us. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure exactly what that dirt would be. We're mm-hmm. pretty boring middle class uh, people. Um, <laughs> I, uh, but blackmail of some kind? Yeah, I, mean, I guess. I guess my guess is, look, I, if 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 this black cube uh, agent had set up a, a meeting with my wife, um, what they appear to have done in other cases is essentially they surreptitiously video the whole thing, right? So they put down like a briefcase that's got like a, a video camera and they, they videotape yeah. the whole thing. And then, you know, probably they would have tried to uh, offer to make big investments in my daughter's school, but maybe with a finder's fee. Mm-hmm. Right, like some, yeah. like a commission. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't. You know, it's like something that if that uh, my wife never would have accepted to begin with, but if somebody had accepted it, you could frame it as corruption, mm-hmm. right, of mm-hmm. some sort, or illegal, or use it as blackmail or something. Maybe they would have tried to befriend, befriend, uh, befriend my wife and try to like solicit, I don't know, salacious uh, information about me or stuff in our get access to our financial situation or whatever. I, I don't know. Um, so all of that is extraordinarily creepy that mm-hmm. anybody would do that, period. But I don't think the goal was to harm us. Um, the, the goal was to try to dig up dirt to di- uh, discredit us. But once this came out in The yeah. Observer and The New Yorker and wherever it comes from, did you feel that something had been breached? I mean, it was something different, right? I mean, it isn't you anymore. It's actually your family has somehow been exposed to something. How did, how did that feel? Yeah, so I think there are there are actually two or three mm-hmm. normative breaches that, mm-hmm. that happen here. I said, you know, the first I would I would you know when you're a government official, especially when you work in the national security space, I, you assume you're the target mm-hmm. of foreign intelligence entities, right? Okay. Um, you assume that they're going to try to hack your email, they're going to try to listen into your phone conversations, they're going to surveil you on foreign trips. Like that's what intelligence entities do when you're a foreign official. Um, uh, you know, our spies do stuff like that. Their spies do stuff like that. It's not. It and are you trained to deal with it? Well, I mean, you go through counter in, counterintelligence right. training, and and you know, be on the lookout for phishing scams, mm-hmm. and you know, you only use secure communications for classified information and all sorts of other things. Um, but the notion that you're spied on as an official is not unusual. Mm-hmm. It is very unusual that you would be spied on as a former official, mm-hmm. right? A former official who's now just gone back, going back to being a college professor at Georgetown uh, University. Um, and especially that they would be going after you to try to dig up dirt on something that you did for public policy reasons to try to make the country safer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and try to use somehow uh, uh, dirt on you to to discredit that or, or your policy position. So it's very unusual. So I think the first normative breach was kind of going after <laughs> me, period, as a mm-hmm. former official. Uh, the second normative breach uh, – was going at me through my family, mm-hmm. right? Bringing my wife into this and also using my daughter's school as the vector. Mm-hmm. That's just gross. Mm-hmm. It's so sleazy and creepy and it's just awful. And maybe that happens in the corporate world all the time where people, where folks get hired to dig up blackmail to use in litigation or in negotiations. It doesn't happen in my world. It's not okay, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going after my my family is is... Is, it's just awful. And the third normative breach is, is, if, is if this has any connection to the U.S. government, mm-hmm. then we are talking about the U.S. government hiring a foreign intelligence firm to not only spy on but to dig up dirt on political opponents and to go after their families. 
right? That is so that that takes you into like the authoritarian realm mm -hmm, of creepiness. Mm -hmm. The other things are bad enough. Uh, that third one, which we don't yet have, uh, I think, conclusive evidence for, takes you into an entirely different level of terrible. You know, there's something about the Iran deal, though, that is was so personal to the president, right? And it was personal to everyone working on it. Yeah. And one of the things I've been wondering about, you know, and I've talked to a handful of people who had worked on the deal, you know, extensively, that it actually took a toll on the families yep. to work on it. Yeah. Because it was so many hours over so much time. Did you watch him speak? I did. Yeah. I was actually I was at the gym yeah. uh, at Stanford University where I'm teaching now. And while that speech was on, I watched it on the I watched it on my iPad while I was on the elliptical or something, um, trying not to fall off while uh, while while watching him. Um, look, I mean the 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 biggest consequences for this are the consequences for the world, and we should talk sure. about that. But I do think that the people who were involved in this felt it deeply uh, at a, at a at a personal level. And I should start by saying that. Um, well, people like myself and Ben and others at the White House worked a lot on this. The the, the real the real people who who put this together, of course, were our diplomats, mm -hmm. our intelligence uh, uh, folks, and others who who literally spent months away from their families, camped out in hotels in Vienna, mm -hmm. uh, working out the details of this and and grinding away at this. This was not a this was not a one off uh, you know reality show summit with a foreign leader. This was. Uh, you know, many years of of deliberations, negotiations, technical uh, uh, discussions, and so, yeah. I mean, the the, the person hours that mm -hmm. went into this, and the sacrifices of people um, away from their families and everything else, and everybody was doing it for the right reasons. That is, they were doing it to try to make the United States safer and to make the world better. Now, by the way, it is totally free. I mean, it's 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 totally fine to criticize us mm -hmm. on policy grounds, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe the deal was a bad deal. I don't agree with that, but you can we can be criticized it. Maybe we didn't negotiate in the right way. I think we did, but that's fair game. Um, but no one should impugn the motives of the people involved in this. Everybody who involved was involved in this was a professional and a patriot trying to do the right thing for their for their country. Um, and so, yes, when this thing when 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 you know Trump just tears it up. It just it was it was demoralizing mm -hmm. because I know how many person hours went into this, how much sacrifice went into this, how hard people worked to to craft something good, and it was tossed away essentially on the whim of a of a president who doesn't understand the deal. You've written for foreign policy yeah. on the fact that there really is no military option. There was no military option from the Israelis, and no military option from us. So when I say there's when no military option, it depends on what the goal is. Do we have the military capabilities to set back Iran's nuclear program? Undoubtedly. Mm -hmm. uh, we can blow up uh, the Natanz enrichment facility. We could blow up the reactor at Arak. We mm -hmm. could uh, do big damage to the Fordo enrichment facility in this, you know, buried 300 feet under this mountain mm -hmm. uh, near, uh, uh, near uh, the holy city of Gom in, uh, in, in Iran. We could go after the Esfahan conversion facility. We could do a lot of damage, mm -hmm. and we could do more damage than the Israelis could. Um, but our assessment, I think, was that the Israelis could, if, they're, if, they're, if the Israelis used essentially their entire air force to go after Iran's nuclear program, they could maybe set the program back by a year or two. We could probably do it about twice as much damage. Mm -hmm. So you can have an effect of setting the program back, mm -hmm. let's say, two to four years. But then you'll just have to mow the lawn 
right? right? Uh, because they will rebuild the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, they'll be more motivated to rebuild their program because it'll now be the only way to deter the United States from, from doing this again. Um, and so the Iran nuclear... So a military option buys you a few years. The Iran nuclear deal bought you at least 15 years. That's what I was going to ask. And so yeah. there's just no question... One buys you a couple years. The other buys you minimum 15 years. One motivates them to drive towards a nuclear weapons capability. That's the military option. The other actually uh, creates uh, an incentive structure that maybe disincentivizes them to go for nuclear weapons uh, over the long term. Um, Oh, and by the way, one produces another big war in the Middle East, and the other doesn't. I'm curious, when you watched Benjamin Netanyahu do his His PowerPoint— His PowerPoint. What, what were you thinking? Were you thinking this is the end? Was it new material? So I think the answer to that is yes. Whether it's new, the answer is yes and no. Okay. Um, so the first thing I thought is this is a TED Talk with an audience of one. Mm-hmm. All right. That, 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 that uh, having seen the European officials come through, Macron, Merkel, making the last ditch uh, uh, case for sticking with the Iran deal, um, this was Netanyahu standing up to give like the closing argument mm-hmm. in court, right? But there's only one juror, and the, and, and you know, uh, and that's uh, that's that's Trump. Um, so it's clear what it was transparent what it was for. Um, even the kind of splashy, you know, PowerPoint slides like Iran lied big time, right? Like just even the framing of the presentation is uh, very Trumpian. Netanyahu was litigating the past in order to shape a particular future that he wanted Donald Trump uh, to pursue, and he won. He got his he got his way. But no, there was there was nothing um, earth shattering uh, about uh, about his presentation, which is I think why it was largely met, frankly, with a degree of ridicule um, in the Washington establishment and 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 in Israel. But did your heart sink when you saw it, or did you think it's I just think the honestly same show as it was in twenty fifteen? It didn't well. On the Iran deal, he was never in favor of cutting a deal with Iran for for uh, Netanyahu, who I've been in probably a dozen meetings uh, with him uh, um, and other U.S. senior officials uh, over the last decade. Um, it's always been about regime change in Iran for him. No deal with this regime um, could be uh, acceptable. Um, he obviously went around the Obama White House to schedule a joint address to Congress, you'll remember, in the spring of, of 2015 to blast against the deal and to establish a set of standards for a good deal that nobody believed could be achieved, except mm-hmm. maybe you now Donald Trump believes it. Um, so actually, there was nothing surprising about what Netanyahu did. Uh, and by the time he actually gave that speech, uh, I think myself and a number of other you know, close observers of this were pretty convinced Trump was going to do what he did anyway. Um, but the moment he gave the speech and then Trump said, see, that proves... What I feel about the deal 100%, I think it was, the rest of it was, you know, history. Do you feel personally anxious, though, now, after this experience with Black Cube? Well, I think this particular operation appears to have stopped Mm -hmm. in the summer um, of of last year. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful that by bringing attention to it, not only can we find out what happened and hopefully hold some of the people who did this to account, but then maybe the sunlight's a little bit of a deterrent. Um, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm just I'm, I'm not an important enough person to like. Boy, if we could just bump off Colin Call, we actually would change like so many things. So, um, and I'm not particularly anxious in the sense that you know we are pretty boring middle class people. I don't think we have a lot of skeletons in our closet. And- I don't mean that. I, I mean about what it means 
for governing or governance, what it means for how we go about uh, changing uh, policy. Because it's some, I mean, you talked about breaches. You know, it's one thing to, to criticize a policy. It's another thing to try to unravel the personal lives of the people who worked on that policy. Yeah, it's a, that's actually a, a, a very insightful point. I think that um, if this if this became more commonplace, that it became a regular thing, a regular rhythm, that people who went into government, the second they left government, foreign entities, foreign companies, and or you know, incoming administrations started to generate, uh, uh, you know, files of blackmail material, compromat, essentially, against foreign officials, then the, the obvious effect of that is people aren't going to serve, right? Because right? they are not going to want to put themselves and their families through that. So I do worry very much about that. I obviously worry about, you know, if our current government was involved in any way in commissioning this, then of course, this is straight out of the authoritarian playbook, right? And so that's a that's a much more existential uh, question about the, you know, the state of our democracy. But even if they're not involved at all, if we start to get in this, this habit, this pattern of going after foreign officials for the good work that they did for the right reasons uh, in, in government, um, then good people aren't going to serve in government. And the worst people in government, the worst, gov- worst government we have, I think we're seeing that in real time. Colin Call, thank you so much for coming into our studios. Sure. Great to be here. Thanks. You've been listening to Foreign Policy's The ER Podcast. I'm Sarah Wildman, and I've been your host. The podcast is produced by Shelby Bostead. For more information about foreign policy and to subscribe to The ER, please visit foreignpolicy.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.